Whether you're a pistachio purist who loves the experience of cracking them open, or you just love the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios is the perfect healthy snack when hunger strikes. I happen to love me my pistachios. Uh, I don't want to screw around with the nuts, so I love the no-shells pistachios. Anyway, there are a bunch of flavors to choose from, like honey roasted, smoky barbecue, jalapeno, lime, and more. Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts, and each ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. The best part of spring cleaning is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless, and then Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data, unlimited talk and text, delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone and any Mint Mobile plan and bring your own phone number along with your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. My team here, they're on Mint Mobile and they like it. For a fraction of the cost, Mint Mobile proved to have excellent coverage with no drop calls or unsent texts. Plus, they make it super easy for me to activate my device just by following a few simple steps online. And bam, done. To get this new customer offer and the new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash literally. That's mintmobile.com slash literally. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash literally. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speeds slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. It was like a PBS late night intellectual talk show. Am I? It's 4.45 in a.m. <laughs> You're watching Perspectives. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us uh, today, Mr. Tim Meadows, one of my favorite SNL performers. Um, I think he did 10 seasons on SNL. So many great characters. Um, always just a super specific take on on his his characters. Like nobody was doing sort of what Tim was doing on that show. And he's always been one of the nicest guys ever. So, um, live from, I think, Detroit, we're going to find out. Mr. Tim Meadows. Where are you these days? I'm in Detroit, Michigan, which is, uh, I moved back. This is where I was born and raised here. Yep. Um, it wasn't as nice as this place. <laughs> but, I can uh, only imagine. Yeah. What is it? What was it? What's it like to, to live because I'm from Dayton, from Ohio, and I always think oh, about wow. what it would be, what it would be like to move back to the Midwest, or just you know, you've done Hollywood, you've done New York, you've done it all, mm-hmm. and then you go you go back. What's what's it like? Because I have a fantasy about it, but I wonder yeah. if the reality matches. Well, I get to see family, which I love. There's not as much to do here in Detroit, so I I, I get bored. 
<laughs> and I have to actually like push myself to go out and do things, you know? That's called depression, Tim. That's it's a yeah. They have drugs Dude, for that. I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm dealing with it in my own way. Yes. I understand. <laughs> I understand one hundred percent. Yeah. Uh but I do I being here I have to push myself to go out more. And I'm it feels like I'm getting to learn about the city again, you know? Mm. And I'm really, I could do better. There's so many more things that I could be doing. Mainly when I go out, it's to go to Pistons games yes. or Tigers games or, oh. you know, to go to things with my family. To old Tiger Stadium. I went to a game there once. I just remember it being insane. And I just looking up at that light stanchion that Reggie Jackson hit that ball off of in the All-Star game there. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that was, that was a great old stadium. I, it was. I, w- I went a few times when I was... I, didn't, I really didn't start going there until I was a teenager. One time I went to Tiger Stadium. It was just a bunch of us teenagers from high school, all black, African-American kids. And one of our friends who was a little bit older than us had bought tickets to go see the Tigers game. And as it's basically an all-white crowd, you know. And this is like in 78, probably, something like that. And so as we're walking up, people are saying to us, there's no seats up there. I don't know where you guys think you're going. And then my oldest, my oldest friend, his name is Arby. He goes, I got six tickets here for me and my, my friends. And all I know is when we get up to this row and to these seats, they better be empty. And he kept walking up. And as he got up, because he, he, he was not a big dude, but he was like, he didn't take, he was not, he didn't mess around. He wasn't yeah, having he, it. Good he didn't fuck him. around. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so as we got up there, he goes, all right, I'm in row, you know, 13, seats 7, 8, 9, 10, get, get out of those seats. And they were like, these seats are taken. And he turned to the usher and he goes, because the usher came up to sort of go, hey, what's going on? And he goes, these are our, our tickets. They're in our seats. And the usher was like, hey, you guys, get out of those seats. Made them sit. We get we sat there and watched the game. And I had never seen a young black man talk to a group of white people like that. He was like, I, I got my rights. I know what Damn. I know what's going on. And you better move, you know? Six, and I was like, great. <laughs> I mean, so I was good. like 16 or 17. I'm like, oh my God, we're gonna be getting this is gonna be a huge fight, you know. Like we're gonna be throwing down. What became of that guy? He see, he sounded like he was he had it all figured out. Well, he he as a young guy, younger guy, he did. He had it all figured out. He passed away a couple of years ago. No, oh, I'm sorry. But to uh, yeah, but he was an amazing dude, man. When he was younger, especially, it was like such a such an amazing moment, especially you know for me. Were you living in Detroit during the? Still the sort of heyday of Detroit. I, I feel like early 70s, it was still automotive, big time yeah. cars. It was it was before the, the incremental, you know, economic downturns. Do you remember the sort of glory days of Detroit? Because that's that city was unbelievable in yeah. the 40s and 50s and into the 60s. Yeah. Well, into the 60s, that's when I was born, like uh, 61. Yeah. So the yeah. things I saw were like, you know, I saw the riots and I was like, six, seven years old. It was in our neighborhood. We lived over on 12th Street. So, you know, that movie actually that... Uh, oh, yeah. That's right. Was it Catherine Bigelow? Yes. That movie yes. 
Yes. That riot is. Yeah, 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 yeah. We lived in that neighborhood, you know. Wow. So one of the first things I remember, like growing up, was like seeing uh, seeing the National Guard coming down the highway, um, people looting in the streets. I mean, it wasn't like I was born and then it was like, hey, people are looting. <laughs> I mean, it was like you know there was other great things in our in our lives before that, but that was one of the, that was definitely a moment of like, oh wow, this is this is. We're in some serious business here, you know. You go, you go from that as your earliest moments to I know I'll be a comedian. I'll fix it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> for for, I, for for sure. How, you um, you were just made uh, what did, I want to get this right? Are you basically now on the board of Second City? Is that right? Did I see that correctly? Yeah, it's like a creative uh, artistic board. That's awesome, and. Because that you were obviously a second came out of Second City, I'm assuming, right? Yes, yeah. Were you a Chicago, were you a Chicago branch, or L.A. or New York? Like, where were? Where did you? I was Chicago. Mm. Um, I was Chicago. I, I moved from Detroit to Chicago when I yep. was, you know, like early 20s, because I had learned about improv and Dale Close and those kind of things. Yeah. So when I was there. In Detroit, I just, one of my friends moved to Chicago. His name is Mark Beltman. And he was just like, you know, he was like Christopher Columbus, you know, except he didn't, you know, do horrible things. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but he was like, dudes, you got to come to Chicago. This is where it's all happening, you know. And so a, a few of us moved from Detroit to Chicago. And we I immediately got into Improv Olympic, was doing improv like long form improv and stuff. And then uh, I got hired by Second City for their touring company. Um, wow. Yeah, so I toured. It was really fun, yeah. It's like Jane Lynch, Amy Sedaris uh, were in my uh, touring company. Um, Greg Holloman. And I, I always <laughs> like name people that you would know. Yeah, no, I, for sure, because <laughs> the, the alumni – the alumnus, alumni, I can never figure out which one it is, of Second City is extraordinary. So Del Close, for those of you who don't know, Del Close was the legendary, what, artistic director? He was, he, he ran Second City, basically, right? Yeah, creatively. He sort of, he was one of the, like, directors there for a while. And, and everybody came from all over the world to, to, to be with him and to learn from him. I mean, I'm surprised. Right. There probably is a book or or um, documentary about Del Clark. There has to be because oh, yeah. he was so influ influential in so many people's lives. I'm like looking at my life, my little bookshelf here because I was, was like, I probably have one of his books on my shelf right now. He's the Stanislavski of improv. Yes, exactly. Like I have a book here by Sharna Halpern called Art by Committee. But uh, Del worked with Sharna in Chicago and they started this theater improv and so many people who you or have watched in comedy over the past 20, 30 years, um, a lot of them are from that school and from that era. I got to go with Lorne, with Lorne Michaels, to in the days where he still used to personally go out and look at up, up and coming people to Second City in L.A. And. Who did we see? Oh, Will, I believe. Maybe that was in Groundlings. In oh, I'm sorry, it was Groundlings. Sorry, it was yeah. Groundlings. It was Groundlings. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It was Groundlings. We wouldn't have Will Ferrell at Second City. No, no, you can't have him. 
you guys have standards. We, yeah, no, Will would have destroyed anywhere he went. I love Will. He's one of my favorite people from that show. Uh, you had the longest, you were like the longest um, s- serving member up until just recently. I think you did, what, did 10, you did 10 seasons or 11? Yeah, I did 10 seasons, um, which was a surprise to me, you know, because uh, I came, like when I was hired, it was originally like as a writer. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. You started as a writer, really? Yeah, I, but it didn't, it only lasted for like, one show or something like that, but I was still <laughs> kept on the writing staff. But it was, there was confusion in the very beginning if I was hired as a writer or a, an actor. And so uh, Lauren sort of told me like my first week actually on the show that I was going to be on the show. Um, wow. So, yeah. So I was like, oh, this is cool. Okay. So, you know. Uh, I mean, most writers are like, I, well, writers who want to act are like hoping to get on and you just like immediately got on the air. What, do you remember what yeah. the circumstances were that you got on the air so quickly? Um, I don't remember what the circumstances, I think maybe it was just a confusion of like, why, what, what he's doing, what is he doing here? <laughs> it was like, is he, is he just a writer or, you know, cause, um, and then they, and then it was, it was all figured out. It was like, no, you're a featured player and you're going to be a writer. So we can, we expect you to contribute written material for the show, uh, not just for yourself. And, uh, and so, yeah, I didn't get anything on until my third show, which, uh, people told me at the time was like pretty good. You know? Yes. Oh my God. It is. Are you kidding? Yeah. Uh, and I wrote a, a piece for Alec Baldwin and Jan hooks oh, myself. Man. And it was called Cyrano de Bergerac. Jan hooks legend. Jan hooks. I knew if I put her in this thing that she would destroy. She was so great, man. She was really nice to me. Like she was really nice to me, but mainly because I wrote, I wrote for her too. You know, yeah, that'll do it. Yeah, that'll do you it. You know, a way to a woman's heart, right? Right, great material <laughs> is through funny sketches. What was okay? You, my favorite thing that you did, and correct me if I'm wrong, was am I remembering this right? It was like a PBS late night intellectual talk show. Am I? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What would that it was, was so called God. perspectives? Oh my God. It's the best thing ever. It was one of my favorite things to do. It's, it's one of my favorite SNL sketches of all time. <laughs> it's four forty-five and AM. <laughs> and you're watching perspectives. I guess today is Rob Lowe, actor, performer. Rob has been in a million things. Uh, we're going to be talking to him in a minute. It's four forty-seven and AM. <laughs> You're watching perspectives. <laughs> also, what wasn't there this whole thing where you would ask these amazingly convoluted questions, not quite exactly knowing who the guest was? Yeah. Well, he would ask questions and then he would sort of repeat the question again. Wait, I was on per- wait, I think I might have done a perspective. You may with have you. done one, definitely. I kind of feel like you did. Uh, I think I I think I did perspectives in when I, I think it might have been when I hosted in 97. Wow. And I think And I think what we did, the whole thing was that you didn't know who I was. And you didn't, that is amazing. You're like, like completely disinterested in any answer that I ever <laughs> gave. That sounds like something I would have done too. That is a Al Franken, Dave Mandel piece. Really? Yeah, I didn't come up with that idea. They, they wrote that for me. And it was, I was really 
grateful. The thing I loved about doing that sketch, man, was they, Lauren always put it on last of the night. So no matter how good it did, it was always going to be the last sketch. And mm-hmm. I knew I could take my time and I didn't have to speed it up until Lauren or one of the people, uh, one of the stage managers started giving me to go, go quicker. Yep. And so one of the things that I could do in the beginning of the thing was just take my time, you know, and I could just go, it's 447 in the AM. And you're watching perspectives. You know, I can like space it out, you know? And yeah, the whole yeah, joke. Yeah, yes. The whole joke that Al Franken explained to me was is based on like Bob and the comedy of Bob and Ray. You know, this I don't duo, know Bob and Ray. Chris Elliott's dad Ooh. is Bob Elliott. Yeah, but they're they're a duo and they had a radio show on PBS. It was a duo. They would do interviews with each other and the timing that they had. And I remember seeing them because they hosted SNL back in the 70s and I didn't know who they were. They had this um, they had like this one recurring character named Willie Baloo, Wally Baloo. He would always open it before the the microphone turned on. The guy would go. And so Wally Baloo will be reporting from the scene. Lee Baloo here. (laughs) And that always made me laugh because it was such a dry but technical you know yeah. joke but they did interviews with each other where they would do characters and stuff but it's frank and explain to me that's that's what this is sort of based on like it's like timing and and sort of like this dry sort of a uh, uh, sense of humor you know and I, I loved it man it was like one of them even more than ladies man which i love doing ladies man was obviously like all time all time all time classic but to me it's like with when I, with mike um I'm, I was always a Sprockets guy as opposed to a Wayne's yeah. guy. I was yeah. always, a, and so with you, it's like, ladies man is, is the iconic thing, but I, I'm, I'm a perspectives guy. I mean, yeah, I wonder what that funny. says about my comic sensibility. I don't know what it <laughs> says. I like the obscure maybe. Yeah. I, it sounds like you, yeah. You like the underdog sort of <laughs> sketches, you know what I mean? Like, right. You're pulling for this to work. Uh, John C. Riley like was, I remember when, like when I first met him at SNL, he he like pulled me to the side and just go, "Hey man, I really love the stuff that you do. Like it's so so different and cool and stuff." And and yeah. I was like, "Wow, thank you, man." Like cuz I I, you know, I I would do sketches that would play to silence in this studio, <laughs> you know. <laughs> they would like, you know, they would get like very few but but people at home or writers like love the concept of it, you know. That's the thing is like there's well, it's like when Norm, you know, hosted Update McDonald, there were often times where I would laugh and it would be crickets. Yeah. And that is just, I think, so daring and fun. And and and, and when SNL is at its best, people feel safe to 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 do those kind of sketches. And yeah. it's it's not just about pleasing the people all the time, I think. Well, I remember you when you came, you hosted before I was on the show. And I remember, I think just like a lot of people, it was one of those things like, I didn't know that this dude was that funny. You could just commit it. Like, you did it so well. Like, Hey, listeners. Ever have trouble getting someone on the phone when you have a question about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based... Live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person any time, day, or night. Yes, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Did you know that it is Asian American Pacific Islanders Heritage Month? Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, like Carden, Kaja, Amelia George, and Hey Meath. Plus, you can help support college access and student success when you donate online or round up in-store to APIA Scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native, Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. So I came home to a little gift in my bathroom the other day from our friends at Harry's. To get what you want, you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. You know who challenged the status quo? Harry's. They saw customers getting ripped off by questionable products in the shaving industry and decided they had something better to offer. So instead of charging the same old ridiculous prices, Harry's found a way to make their beautifully designed razors, and they are beautiful, for a fraction of the price of the other big brands. Exceptional products, honest prices. That's Harry's. They have the highest customer satisfaction in shaving history and a no-risk trial. Don't like your shave? No worries. It's on them. Convenient subscription options that you can cancel at any time. And Harry's also has other self-care products that meet the same quality standards as their razors. Richly lathering, skin softening body wash and scents like Redwood, Wildland, and Stone, and an extra high quality, amazing smelling deodorant for just five bucks. I love their stuff. I'm so impressed by Harry's products. All of it. It's all good. Don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash rob. That's Harry's com slash Rob for a $3 trial set. Smigel is a great writer. He's one of my favorite people ever. Smigel wrote this sketch for, for me, Chris Rock, and, uh, and uh, Ellen Cleghorn. And it was something like the, the, the head turning, the neck turning turners or something like that. But it was... <laughs> It was these black. It was a black family who, when they get mad and they start moving their necks like in a circular motion as they get pissed, that they cause a tornado and it would, it would destroy the city. <laughs> <laughs> I used to laugh. I don't. I think maybe we did it once where we, it was so funny, and I was just like, I love that idea, man. It just killed me. So funny. He had me on a the talk show where uh-huh. it was all in Spanish. Yeah, all of I the entire that. sketch was in Spanish. Yeah. And it would, and it would, it'd be like clowns and then a puppet. And then like a, it just, it was, it just mental. Yeah. And of course, Smigel is tri- triumph. The insult dog is, yeah, is, exactly. is, is the all time, the all time classic. When you came to do the show, did you feel it? Like when you did it, people are going to see me differently. I didn't, know if they 
would or 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 not. I I know that I I knew you know you know when something goes well, right? Mm-hmm. You, we all know, and I knew it went really well. And I what I was my real takeaway was, Lorne, I could see, like him going, oh, okay. Yeah. This is a guy. And I think kind of like he did with Alec Baldwin later, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. Alec became the, the, you know, such an, an amazing permanent host. And I went into the, the SNL movies because of that. And, um, and, you know, to have as a kid from Ohio growing up watching, you know, SNL to have Lorne like anoint you as one of the players was like it's it's it remains today for me like one of one of my like most amazing memories and like i can't believe it happened yeah you know, same he's same. the guy i mean you know if, if yeah. lauren thinks you're funny that that means something i remember making like when i was really accepted as at snl was the week that i wrote that um Cyrano sketch and lauren read it and he and jim downey laughed like Lauren like lost his breath laughing at the, really? at the, in the wow. beginning. Yeah. Like he like laughed hard at it, man. Him and Jim Downey. And it was my that was only my third week, right? So like people weren't giving me the respect at the table yet. Mm-hmm. When yep. Lauren fucking laughed, I was in. I was working I was gonna work there for 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> you know you were there I mean? for 10 years. Yeah. It's like you make that dude laugh. Like yeah, you you, you you deserve to be there because he's heard it all and he's heard it from great ones, you know. You know, comedy is so subjective, but it's not something that I really understood or knew until I worked with Lauren. And I remember on Wayne's World, I I wanted to do so well, but I didn't really trust myself yet. And I was friends with Gary Marshall. Gary Marshall created, you know, Mork and Mindy and Happy Days, and he did a hundred movies. He's one of the, you know, the yeah. odd couple of he's he's a comic legend on par with Lauren in a different world. Right. And Gary did, I don't think I've never told this story. Um, Gary did a punch up for me on my character. Huh? And I sent it to Lauren and Lauren was like, Hmm. And I go, I think it's funny. I think it's funny. He goes, no, it's, it's, it's not that it's not funny. It's just, is it the right kind of funny? <laughs> and I had never, I, I honestly did not know what he meant. Yeah. And now today I know exactly what he meant. Um, so if you make him laugh, that's a very specific window that you, you're in. Yeah. And also with that, you know, with that is a different kind of funny is exactly what he does on that show, which is he allows different types of humor, you know, like perspectives could exist in the same universe as the cheerleaders right. in his eyes. Yes. Like they cheerleaders is going to be a crowd pleasing, gut busting laugh fest full of energy. Yep. But it is on par with a sketch that's going to make you sit there and watch the comedy unfold <laughs> before your very eyes. Yes. Yes. And that is that's what that show is. And, and Lauren is great at it. You know, I'm just remembering your makeup and hair and perspectives and it's making me laugh. Like, just. <laughs> Just, just the most dignified salt and pepper yeah. hair. One thing I, I loved about the idea of perspectives was that it was a it was a, an FCC rule that they had to have uh, minority shows 
had to be broadcast on you know on networks. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was the first thing you you would hear. It would be no the the first thing you would see would be the station cutting off for the night, like it used to. You know, the American this flag. This is the end of our broadcasting evening, uh, and now perspectives. <laughs> They, it just shows they had real confidence in the programming. I yes. know. 445 yeah. at night. It's that's where we're gonna put it. Um, I remember you were at Bernie Brillstein's memorial. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so Bernie Brillstein was my manager. He managed everybody from Gilda to Belushi to Lorne himself and on and on and on. He's a legend yeah. of Saturday Night Live. And and when he passed away, everybody showed um, I actually wrote a, a whole chapter about this in my first book because it was such an amazing thing. And um, I was lucky enough because Bernie was like a father to me. He really yeah. we, we, it was more than than client. At all. I mean, he was literally like my second father. Yeah. So Lauren produced and I mean, and I use that word uh, on purpose. He produced the um, memorial. And, you know, there was, you know, I think. um a, a lot of amazing people spoke and and everybody was kind of trying to figure out where they would speak in what order because, you know, we're performers, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and, mm-hmm. you know, it's like who's following who and who's following. So there's a lot of that going around. And um, Bernie also represented Jim Henson in the day. So Kermit the Frog was there. And and I remember, um, I think it was Lovitz. Of course it was Lovitz. Who else would it be? Going, when am I going to speak? <laughs> And Lauren saying, um, John, I'm not really sure. I just know that no one follows the frog. <laughs> and so that was the title of my of the chapter I wrote, No One Follows the Frog. Yeah, which is and, true. That- and dude, I remember l- looking at you mm-hmm. when that fucking frog sang Rainbow Connection. Yeah. And you were knocked out, as we all were. It was yeah. the most emotional. The first of all, that song, that song in and of itself is a killer. Yeah. But but when it's singing for your dead, departed friend, I mean, I was knocked out. Do you remember yeah, that? Wasn't that I insane? Do. I do. And I remember being surprised at the, the emotions coming over me like that. I was not, and I will say I've never cried at a Muppet, you know, and... Or a puppet in any way has ever moved me emotionally, <laughs> and to be up there. And then the thing that really hit me too was that I was a kid watching Sesame Street, and to be there and having having had that career and having had the influence of Bernie on my career, and being there, it was like it was just a weird like. I can't believe that this is happening and that I I'm here and he's gone. And, and like, you know what I mean? It was just, yeah, I do. I, I just like, I used to watch this when I was a child, you know? And like my manager, my, a guy who influenced me managed the same dude, you know? And then that song, I can't even listen to that song. Me neither. I swear, and I can't even listen to it. And when same. I same, why is that? What it's yeah. like? I, I tried to break it down. Yeah. I mean, look, it's beautiful. The lyrics are pretty stunning, but the amount of feels, as the kids would say, 
that I get when I listen to that yeah. song is almost intolerable. It's like, yeah, it's 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 almost like the the uh, Russian roulette sequence in the Deer Hunter. I I, I can't wa- I I'm not watching that scene and I'm not listening to Rainbow Connection. It's yeah. not happening. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I I say too, man. One of my other things is I can't watch Sandler's uh, Uncut Gems. I watched it one time. Yeah. And I'm like, I can't. I told him, too. I said, I'll never watch that movie again. I love what you did. It was an amazing movie. Can't watch it. No, there are certain there are certain things you experience once. And 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 that's yeah. Which is the perfect segue to Uh-oh. your new, your new movie. It's a wonderful binge. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's a movie. I uh, I appear in it. Um, I do some comedy in it. It's um, it's second movie. It's from Hulu. And uh, it's about a uh, this time in America where that you can alcohol and drinking is only legal once a year, Ooh. and everyone can drink no matter how young or old for one day, and it happens to fall on Christmas this one year. Mm. Uh, so that's the movie, and I play my daughter. Do- I play the father of a young lady who is going to uh, date who's dating a guy who takes the binge way too seriously. I would. I would take that. I would. <laughs> where, where was that back when I needed it? Jeez Louise. <laughs> the weather is getting warmer. It's time to ditch the jackets and sweaters for shorts and tees. But there's no need to waste money on clothes that only last one season with Quince. Now you can get high quality pieces that never go out of style. You'll be wearing year after year. Quince has all the seasonal must-haves like 100% European linen shirts for $30, performance polos, and versatile flow-knit activewear. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering with the top factories, Quince cuts out the middleman and passes the savings directly onto you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes. My producer recently made an order for Quince, and here's what he had to say. I'm really excited to revamp my closet with Quince. I cannot wait for my items to arrive from Quince. You know, I'm a sweater guy. I was looking at that burgundy cashmere crew neck. I love the blue chore jacket. Maybe I'll throw some joggers in there. So upgrade your wardrobe. Go to quince.com slash Rob for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Rob to get free shipping and 360-day returns. Quince.com slash Rob. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you've been listening to Literally long enough, you'll know that I am a big believer in getting the help you need. Therapy has been a big, big, big part of my life and something I think we should be all doing as needed, just like checking the oil on your car. I've spoken about this and we all carry around different stressors, big and small. We keep them bottled in and it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to get the things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. 
Visit BetterHelp.com slash Rob Lowe today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Rob Lowe. I love fast cars, but there aren't a ton of high-performance EVs. They're certainly out here there. But when I when I get a chance to get behind the wheel of one, it's I love it. And I was blown away by the Kia EV6 GT. When you get behind the wheel of the Kia, it, it is literally like being in a state-of-the-art rocket ship, but also comfortable. The thing goes from zero to 60 in 3.4 seconds. It is the premium driving experience. And of course, it's an EV. So the climate thanks you. SiriusXM provides access to over 165 channels in the vehicle. Music, sports, news, comedy, yacht rock. Let's go. Little, little steely Dan going in your Kia. Come on now. So check it out today. It is the all-electric Kia EV6 GT. I had a blast checking it out. Believe me, you should do it yourself via kia.com slash EV6. To learn more, that is kia.com slash EV6. Kia, movement that inspires. Oh, I know another thing I wanted to talk to you about is Mean Girls. Yes, Mean Girls. Yeah. Yes. Some would say it's my best performance. <laughs> I, I It's so restrained and fun. I mean, it's, it just, there's just, I, I just love you in that gear. Yeah. I went into that movie and I mean, Tina wrote it, Tina Fey. And so I knew, I, I mean, I read the script and stuff and I saw, I even saw it after the punch-ups were done to it. Mm-hmm. And I knew it was good. And I knew my part would be really fun to do. And I came into it thinking, I'm going to play it like this is this guy's last year teaching. He hates being there. And he's <laughs> going he's gonna to retire at the end of the year, even though it's not said in the script. He's going to quit at the end of the year and like move to the desert or something. That's amazing. So amazing. I, I didn't tell Tina or anybody, the director or that or any. I just played it that way. And so I had that little under you yeah. know, history behind me. And so it was. And then as we shot it, it, it was just easy to. I'm glad I did it because it was like it was easy to make sense of the things that I, I, I was doing and the reason yes. I was acting certain ways, you know, like with the burn book thing of, of being like really angry about it, but also being like, I just want to get through this thing. Like, what is this all about? Okay. <laughs> you know, because um, I think if I would not have done that, then I would have been playing that stuff. Like everything would have been big or everything would have been like, you know, yeah. I would have been caring too much, you know? Well, that's that, that old thing, which I think for the most part is kind of a, a jerk off is like, for actors like what's your secret yeah but that's but that's an example of it really b- working and being yeah. great and and i'm not one of the i mean i i i don't know about you but i i do try to find things to like what can i do to make this interesting for me even if it's a small part or, or whatever yeah um, well and that and by the way that's why you know it, it is true there are no small parts only small actors it really is mm-hmm. true yeah and I mean, that's not a huge part, but it's a super important part. And um, 
it, it made me laugh because I was thinking, what at, what's the attitude I'm picking up here? And I realized mm. it's like people who work at the DMV. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what yeah. made me laugh. It was yeah. like that thing of like, okay, yeah, just it's, eight more hours to go and I'm yeah. out of here. That's great. How can I help you? <laughs> I, I um, but Tell me this, dude, because you've done both. Um, it's like going back and forth between doing movies and television. Like the st- I just did this movie. My direction, the main direction I was getting from the this director, who was great, was less, less. And then at one point he told me, I want you to whisper the scene. I want you to say it as softly as you can. Wow. And I was like, okay. And then I dawned on me. I was like, I've been acting on television for like the past year. It's like a different, you know what I mean? Oh, I do. It's I, so I, weird. I, I do. In particularly the different the the energy look between comedy and drama and I mean at the end of the day I I always feel like it's all the it's all the same it's just about being truthful and the the, the least amount of artifice that you can find but but the truth of it is that it's a different energy it just is it just is yeah, and, it is um and as you know comedy is it's it's a math equation and a it's like and a music equation it's mm-hmm. it's it's so much more based on on rhythm and all, all all the stuff that we know but you know when you're when when a director is there then and and it's their job to articulate that to you mm-hmm. sometimes it comes out in very odd ways but i like i like that just whisper it just whisper yeah it. it was it was a trip and you and uh and i was like okay but i still i mean i knew as an actor or whatever like i still got to have this energy cuz in the scene I'm I'm firing a guy who's a friend of mine. Well, it's funny because I'm I am on a show called Nine One One Lone Star, and it's mm. it's I play a fire captain, and we do rescues all the time, right? And it's literal life and death. You know, we'll have young actors come on and playing first responders, and they'll make this the same mistake over and over. Like they'll play a scene, it's life and death, and so they'll play it that way. And I always have to take them aside and go, no, no. You must not play the stakes. You must. You mm. must not. It, if anything, you mm-hmm. go the other way. Can you imagine a fireman going, "Okay, we're gonna get you out of here. Okay, all right. I think that bill. I think that, that window's gonna go down. We're gonna put a ladder over here, and we're gonna do it right now." It's like you can't. No, 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 no. Don't play the stakes. <laughs> yeah, this is your first time ever saving somebody. It's yes. not your character's first time. That, like your character's right. done this before. I like, uh, we just came up with a good character next time I host SNL, playing the stakes fireman. <laughs> playing the stakes 911 caller. What is your emergency? Okay, okay, okay. I want you, I, I want you to step away from the phone and use tourniquet. Do you know how to, do you even know how to use a tourniquet? Can you imagine? That is so funny, man. <laughs> That is so funny. It would be, it would play with the, the, the head turning turners. Yeah, it would definitely. And in that sketch, I would play the, I would play your boss. I'd be like the guy who brings you into the office and says, listen, we got to talk to you about your behavior on the phone. Um, They ended up committing suicide because they couldn't get through to you. You stressed them out so much. Oh my God. I would say, I would have loved to have, you had the best job in the world. I mean, 10 seasons uh, on that. I have to ask you the famous uh, question. Who is, who's your favorite host and who is your least favorite host? Uh, and now I have to give you the same answer. I give everybody else. Uh, Rob Lowe. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, 
my I would always say my most in, like the weeks that I looked forward to because I knew it would be interesting was Christopher Walken. Oh, it would be fun to watch. Do you remember this sketch that Walken did that never made it to air where he played an alien driving a spaceship? Jack, it was a Jack Handy sketch. Yes, do you remember that? Yes, it's fa- it, and and the concept was he was meant to be the personal messenger of peace on Earth and we come in kindness. Yes. And every time he landed, he accidentally crushed somebody. Yes. Because <laughs> one time the door opened and he yes. killed somebody. Yes. Yes. That, I remember and, that and, sketch. And, and it was, we used to love that Chris would always go, let's get out of here <laughs> as an alien. <laughs> yeah. so. That's the one that think too far, like pants fell down or something, like when we were doing it. And the Continental? Continental, yeah. That's another weird one. I just love watching him rehearse sketches. Even if I wasn't in it, I would watch it like on the feed, on the monitor or whatever. And we, I got to do a really good sketch with him that Tina wrote again uh, called um, The Census. It was a census taker sketch where he's, I'm, a, I'm taking the census and he is in an apartment in New York and questions i ask him like how many people live here and he goes um is 36 too high of a number (laughs) and i go yeah you want to maybe tamp it down a little bit uh okay uh 50 (laughs) you know (laughs) he was just giving me these crazy answers and stuff and but it was one of my favorite sketches and it was on the same show as the cowbell so no that way. was a sketch that everybody talked about. Was the cowbell sketch. So my my producers who are genius walk and says to you, "Well, it's just me and my wife, and I've got a couple of butterfingers in the fridge." <laughs> he said he had a uh, a uh, passport to go to Florida, but he brought out like a holiday card, like from Hallmark. I'm like, this is not a passport, sir. <laughs> I knew him. I knew him a little bit. In, uh, years ago, and uh, we did did a play together at Williamstown, so we know each other in sort of the theater world through that. Yeah. And do you remember the the play that used to tour everywhere called Love Letters? Do you remember this? Yes. And like the, do you remember like it was huge, right? It, yes. And, and the concept of Love Letters was it was t- that you would cast two actors that in theory you wanted to see together and sometimes they were super a list and other times they were super like C list and it would play for eight weeks and a theater in New York, whatever. And yeah. And it was a couple and, and it is a series of letters. It's two actors on a black stage, black background, no, no set reading letters that they've written. These characters have written each other since they were young lovers until the times of their death and the, when they're old men and women. It's yeah. And, and it's both really, really beautiful and also really, really cheesy and really it, – it's one of just one of those things. So and it's one of I, the easiest jobs for an actor to do because you, you have to just read letters, right? So I saw Walken do it. And he's, you know, and he's reading the letters in that way that he does something, you know, and it's amazing. And so afterwards I'm like, Chris, so how does yeah. this work? So it was like any rehearsal or um, – when, when you read it? did you know immediately you wanted to do it? He goes, well, I just did. I said, what do you mean? He goes, read it. I just did read it. I go, no, I know you read it. But when you read it, 
did you know that you'd say yes and you'd commit to five weeks? No, no, no. I read it for the first time tonight. I said, what? <laughs> I said, wait, you're telling me the performance I saw, you had was the very first time you read any of the material? goes, well, yes, they're letters. I wouldn't have known what they were. <laughs> it's great, great, right? And it makes sense, too, where you think it about it. It does make sense. You open up a letter, you read it. You don't know what you don't it's going to say. You don't know what's in say. it? No. Yeah. You don't read a letter and then go read it again to somebody. Now, the, the other thing he does that I'm sure you know is he takes out all the punctuation. Yes. Right? I've so that's why there may be different rhythms to the thing because he doesn't know where the periods are. Yeah. He's so funny, man. He, he, uh, we did Three Sisters together. And in, in the famous Chekhov play, the, the, there's a, the city burns down or whatever the hell. And everybody huddles in an attic and his character goes out. His, we're huddled in an attic together and a woman or somebody comes back in who's been out in the flames. And Chris's character asked her about what was going on. And the line is, how's the fire? And Chris would say it in a way every day. I would go, I would stand by the side of the stage <laughs> to hear him ask, how's the fire? <laughs> and I could never put my finger on why it made me laugh so hard or what, why it was so weird until the day I accidentally got uh-huh. his script. I, I thought it was my own. I uh-huh. opened it up. It was Chris's. And I opened it to that line in the script. And he had crossed out, how's the fire? It was crossed uh-huh. out. And in its place, he had written, how's the barbecue? <laughs> right? Like you you were thinking your 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 principal was retiring in a year in Mean Girls. He was thinking, how's yeah. the fire is, how's the barbecue? <laughs> yeah. So I'll never say it like, how's the fire? Like, as if it's a fire. I'll talk about it as if it's a barbecue. Yes. It's not like how many people are dying or do we need to evacuate? It was... Should it be a little higher, maybe, for the meat to cook? Yeah. You know, everybody talks about his, when they do an impression of him, you know, which is funny, is like his verbal thing. But the thing that would make me laugh, too, especially on SNL, was when he would hunch his shoulders. Like, he would go, <laughs> he would hunch his shoulders like, hey, you know, like, uh, almost like Rodney Dangerfield. It was so, his whole body language, just, I, I loved, I just love him, man. Um, he's, he's for sure walking. Alec are in the Hall of Fame of hosts. Goodman also. Goodman, me. Steve Marty. Oh, Stephen, did you see Stephen Marty last week by any chance? I didn't know. I haven't seen it oh, yet. They were, ama- they were amazing. They always are. They were amazing. And, you know, they, and, you know it's funny because they're not young men. And they come out and absolutely murder. I told Martin Short at the 40th, I had a total meltdown fan moment with him. And... I said, I got to tell you, because I, I don't know if I'll ever see you again, but like you had so much influence on me mm. doing what I'm doing. I was, I've been a huge fan. I love, I just told him, I love, I saw all your specials. I watch, you know, everything you've done. And how about, I just how about Jiminy you, Glick? I love you. Jiminy Click. Dude, how about he goes, when he, when he does it with the he does it down like this. Yes. <laughs> He, he did an interview. It was like Mel Brooks. Somebody they had it on Twitter or something recently, where he was talking. So, uh, what's it like to be poor? Were you smelly as a poor man when you were a child? And Mel Brooks is like trying not to laugh. You know, he had he had, so he, had Spiel, he had he had. I think it was Spielberg 
I think. And he goes, Tell me, what is your fascination with all this Jewish stuff? <laughs> so yeah, nuts. Man, he's one of my favorites. Because the thing I love about him is that he seems insane somewhat. You yes. know what I mean? Like, some of his, like he commits to it. He just commits. Commits. And I love that. I love it so much. Well, this has been so fun. Thank you for, for coming on. This is... This was yeah. just awesome. Thanks for having me, man. When when Perspectives the movie gets made, <laughs> I want to be who would I be in Perspectives the movie? Would I be the the guy the PBS rep? Yeah, or maybe the guy from the FCC who like yes. comes to check in, you know, like, hey, yes. been, we're moving you to four forty four now. Yeah, you got congratulations. You've really been killing it on the ratings. You're we're you're moving <laughs> You're moving up into prime time, 3.45 a.m. <laughs> yeah. uh, Rob, uh, you're one of my favorites, man. Uh, I, it's an honor to do this. And and thank you. Every, I was going to say this, too, and it's better be on the thing. It's like every time we've been in – I've been in your presence, you've been in, insanely sweet and nice to me, and I've always – I've always appreciated it, man. Thank you. Oh, thank you, man. It's insane. Man. You're, you're one of my faves, and it's been too long since we've seen each other. Hopefully – it won't be as, as many years, I hope. Yes. Great seeing you. Oh, my gosh. That is just made me laugh so hard. What a great guy. What a just a sweet heart and so funny. Ah, anyway, thank you all for listening. I um, hope you enjoyed it as usual. And um, you got questions? I got answers. Let's hit the lowdown line. Hello, you've reached literally in our lowdown line where you can get the lowdown on all things about me, Rob Lowe. 323 570 4551. So have at it. Here's the beep. Hey, Rob, this is Ryan from Florida. I was wondering if you have met an actor in the past or recently that you've seen and you were just like, wow, that person is going to be a star. Either someone that we know that is huge today or maybe somebody that it will be huge someday. Love the podcast. Thank you. That is a really good question. And I think your question was, have I met them? Because there's two sort of things that come to mind is, you know, meeting somebody and going, oh, yeah, that person has it, whatever it is. And then there's a thing of seeing an unknown actor for the first time in something. And you go, oh, that person's going to be a star. Like, for example, that for me would be Christoph Waltz in Inglorious Bastards. He's, you know, nobody really knew him. He'd been working forever. And you see him in that first scene in Inglorious Bastards and go, oh, I turned to my wife and said, that guy's winning the Academy Award this year. And he did. I think the the one that comes to mind for whatever reason was um, my sons are younger than I am. My sons are younger than I am. How, how did that work out? My 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 sons in their circle of friends, there was a young uh, one of their friends who was a girl, not a girlfriend, but in their friend group in Santa Barbara, and she just had this light around her. I was like, that girl, whatever she ends up doing, she's going to be something. It was not clear what she was. Music, maybe actor. You just didn't know she was sort of in a quasi show business family, um, and it was Gigi Hadid, and you just knew she was going to be something. She, her stepfather David Foster, and I, our old friends, David wrote all the music in Saint Elmo's Fire, and David was like, 
I wish I could invest in her. <laughs> um, so yeah, when, when you, when you meet somebody that's got the it factor, um, it definitely is, uh, it pops for sure. Thanks for your call. Great call, by the way. Thank you for, for taking the time out of your busy day to spend some time with me and Mr. Meadows. I know he appreciates it. And we will see you next week on Literally. You've been listening to Literally with Rob Lowe, produced by me, Rob Schulte, with help from associate producer Sarah Bagar. Our research is done by Alyssa Grahl. The podcast is executive produced by Rob Lowe for Low Profile, Adam Sachs, Jeff Ross, and Joanna Solitaroff at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson at Stitcher. All of the music on this podcast was composed by Devin Bryant. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Literally with Rob Lowe. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Stitcher. I'm Rachel Martin. After hosting Morning Edition for years, I know that the news can wear you down. So we made a new podcast called Wild Card, where a special deck of cards and a whole bunch of fascinating guests help us sort out what makes life meaningful. It's part game show, part existential deep dive, and it is seriously fun. Join me on Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR.